It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Election College, Episode 48, The Election of 1924. In this episode, Silent Cow runs for president. So, Jason, um, we've already got a president right now. President yeah. Calvin Coolidge, he, he came in after Warren Harding passed away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know much about the guy, you know? I mean, he really didn't do a whole lot. He was kind of a chill sort of guy, had that nickname, Silent Cow. Um, his wife, Grace, on the other hand, she was pretty outspoken, and uh, I think she she probably did a lot of the talking in the house. Yeah, I would imagine so. Uh, some fun little facts about Calvin Coolidge. He was the only president to ever be born on Independence Day, at least so far. Um, so that's, I mean, that right in and of itself means he's destined for presidency, I think. Yeah, he's Yankee Doodle Dandy. Uh-huh. Why not? Uh, now I got that song in my head. <laughs> that is your own fault. I will take no responsibility for it. Uh, Coolidge had... <laughs> A lot of deep roots in New England. He was really a, a direct descendant. Um, he's a direct descendant of the people who came and settled from England in Massachusetts in 1630s. Yeah, and if you ever find yourself in New England, you're going to see all kinds of cool things about the Coolidge family. So he might not have been internationally known, but... He was a pretty well-known guy from a yeah. pretty good family. Yeah, and there's a lot of Coolidge's that have done crazy things and a lot of people who were high up in the military as well. So it comes from a long line of patriots, I guess you could say. Yeah. So, and actually, I guess we can do a little into the future, right? You okay with yeah, that? Yeah, I, I think that's all right. Yeah, I think we do that a lot. There's actually a Calvin or President Calvin Coolidge State Historic Site, which I've heard is pretty cool to visit and it was only made a historic site like in the last i don't know a couple decades because his son john um was really all about preserving his legacy and and stuff so we're really getting into that and i know we keep on saying this over the last couple episodes but we're getting into uh, more modern like hey people who are alive or people who are recently alive actually <laughs> knew these people so um, Calvin Coolidge, kind of, kind of a silent guy, but pretty chill. And do people still say that? Uh, pretty chill. Pretty chill. Yeah. Did they ever say um, that? Am I showing my age? I, th- I think people still say that, but I think it's mostly ironic when they do it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you're still fine. You have to forgive me, everyone. <laughs> so, anyway, so pretty quiet guy, and he has found himself to be the president and he's actually unscathed by all of the crap. (laughs) I'm just going to go ahead and say crap that Harding left behind uh, with 
all of the scandals that that came to light after he passes away, Coolidge gets the credit for a booming economy. Um, really, no big wars happening that the United States is involved in. Um, it's looking pretty good for Silent Cow going into this whole thing. So I'm, I'll just preface it with that. Right. And Coolidge also is pretty well known for the fact that he's kind of a small government conservative. And by kind of, I mean definitely. Uh, so <laughs> he was very much so that way. And and some people could take that as, well, he wasn't involved with things or he didn't want the government to be big and he because he was so quiet and, and backward. But really he, he fought against um he fought against some of those bigger what he considered to be unnecessary organizations and had a lot of criticism for that actually. But different um programs and things that we see established in the years to come, uh, again, a little foreshadowing after the Great Depression, he really would have been terribly, terribly against those things um, just because of his stance on, on small government. So this is kind of the height, uh, I guess you could say, of Republican conservatism. Yeah, interestingly enough, I know a lot of people will say, well, Reagan, he was the that was the pinnacle. That was that was it. Ronald Reagan. But actually, Reagan would look back to this era and say, no, that's that's what I want to return back to. So that's good insight, Ben. Thanks. I studied that and everything. <laughs> I hope you did. <laughs> so you want to talk a little bit about the Republicans and how they came to nominate Silent Cal and who he was running up against? What a mess, right? I mean, <laughs> it just turns into this total debacle, it seems like, at least with the the vice presidency, for sure. But um, Coolidge is, is currently the president, and this is kind of unusual. They're like, well, yeah, Coolidge is the president, and we don't really have that big of a problem with him, but should we nominate him again? Yeah, like, is he really that conservative? Because you see, while he was the governor of Massachusetts, he he played the political game. You know, he he didn't toe the "Hey, I'm a staunch conservative Republican." He actually worked with both sides and was more of a. Some would say he was even a liberal uh, while the governor of Massachusetts. Um, his opponents on the Republican side would have even said that, eh, he wasn't even our first choice for the vice presidency back in 20. Uh, they should have had Senator, uh, Irvin Linroot be the man for the VP back in 20. Um, the party bosses actually were for him, but Coolidge got it. And... Yeah. And so here he is. Yeah, and so because of all this kind of controversy and, you know, once again, we're divided here, the uh, the senator from California, Hiram Johnson, he goes, you know what? I'm going to take a stab at this thing. I'm going to get up against Coolidge in the primaries here. And um, why not? Why don't I just go for it? So Coolidge is like, nope. 
um, we can't do this. We can't, we can't have this mess going on. I'm going to be the president. And so he gets some of his buddies who are a little more on the liberal side to come out right at the start of things and endorse him. Yeah. So Coolidge is like, hmm, how am I going to stave off this threat? And he starts approaching the liberal members of the party and says, hey, guys, uh, what do you think? I'm kind of a nice guy. And he actually wins the the support of many of the liberal faction. Uh, I think I just used a singular when I should have used plural. But anyway, he went out and <laughs> reached out to the more left side of the Republican Party at the time. And it, it did him well. So Johnson, who decides he's going to run against against Coolidge, kind of comes out, comes out swinging. Uh, he opens himself up for the nomination saying, hey guys, would you want to nominate me by chance? I don't know why you can't nominate yourself, but uh, he didn't. And so he's going hard against Coolidge and as fast as he comes out swinging, he kind of begins to fall away. Um, you know, in, in his appeal to the people who are most against Coolidge, he really just lines the people up ready to punch their card who are most for Coolidge and kind of brings back that support for Coolidge um, stronger than ever before. Yeah. So there's a lot that is going in to, you know, you've got your party bosses, you've got um, people like uh, Henry Cabot Lodge, you've got Senator George Pepper um, from Pennsylvania um, you've got all of these different people who whose names we would recognize, especially Henry Cabot Lodge. Um, it's a pretty divided convention, and it opens up, um, and they're like, Coolidge, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it turns out to be not that big of a deal. So, status quo. And I think that probably comes out of the whole normalcy. Um, let's not rock the boat too much, you know. Let's and and who knows? Maybe we'll see this happen in future primaries, where there's a lot of infighting. There's a lot of you know, you're the worst person. You would be the worst president in the world. Um, <laughs> you would just be a disaster. And then by the time the convention comes around, it's like you no, know, you're you're the man and you're the best and we'll just stop. So what do you do now? You've got the president decided on for the nomination, at least for the party. So I guess you got to move on to the vice president. We've seen they're pretty important. So uh, who do we go to? And so the party starts to try to nominate governor Frank Loudon or Loden of Illinois. Uh, They want to make him, the vice president candidate and he's like okay guys thanks but no and so they're just like well he was like our only choice so they throw together some other nominations and and find this guy named charles dawes who is quite the character okay so dawes is the man for the vp are you ready to talk about the democrats always 
So you know what's funny about that? I think previously you said, "Are you ready to talk about them?" And I said, "Never." So never <laughs> and always. <laughs> so yeah, it's kind of interesting with the Democrats because, as is a normal thing today, you usually have these midterm elections that go pretty positively for the opposition. Um, the Democrats did make some pretty big gains in the 1922 midterms and they were feeling pretty good about themselves. Um, there was a guy named William Gibbs McAdoo from California. He drew a lot of support from, uh, those who were in, into the labor unions and, and those who were really behind the policies of Woodrow Wilson. And they were like, yeah, McAdoo, he's our man. And with all of the scandals that were going on because of the Harding administration, uh, there was a lot of initial enthusiasm for, for the Democrats. And what ends up happening is there were some people who were involved with Harding's Teapot Dome scandal who are actually Democrats. So that wasn't cool. Yeah, and then the fact that I mean, they're all they're all done. Like everybody who's involved with that, the whole teapot thing, the teapot dome thing, <laughs> they're kind of faded away a little bit. Uh, some of them got in trouble, so they left. Some of them resigned. Uh, others still are in office, but for the most part, they're like kind of gone. And Coolidge is there, and he, like we said before, is unscathed. And yeah, well. He doesn't look so bad still. So McAdoo, which, by the way, <laughs> is a crazy cool name, he it is, is pretty popular with um, with the labor unions, and uh, he's popular with the railroad guys. He's also, get this, President Wilson's son-in-law, which is kind of a neat little thing. It's um, convenient. Yeah, it's really convenient for him. So there's some little scandals in his life and some great things about his life and some things he did that were good and some things he did that were bad, like everybody obviously has. But eventually they're like, well, we'll we'll take him. Yeah, and I mean, you had some of the support from uh, William Jennings Bryan, who was like, okay, listen, McAdoo, he's, he's a man of his word. He's a man with integrity. And William Jennings Bryan... We haven't talked about him for a little while, but he's still in the background as like, this is what a Democrat should be. This is what an honest um, man with integrity. Uh, we're, we look to him for kind of, well, now he's almost like a grandfatherly type figure that anybody who William Jennings Bryan says has integrity. Yeah, they do. So a lot of trust there. Until <laughs> Oops. Uh, there's this there's this person, th- this guy named Dehaney, and well, McAdoo and Dehaney are buddies, and they have some things going on and some some lands trade hands and some oil stuff trades hands, and bonuses are never paid and bonuses are paid that shouldn't have been paid and of course it's just your typical 
corruption and scandal and maybe even some misunderstandings. And so McAdoo is like, well, William Jennings Bryan says I'm a fine, upstanding guy, and everybody else is like, no, sorry. uh, (laughs) William Jennings Bryan says, no, I... I think this whole Dehaney thing really just kind of knocks you out of contention. Sorry, I I spoke too soon. So, Ben, you've got the tension going on with Protestants and Catholics still. And you still have organizations like Tammany Hall in New York who are really supportive of what you would say would be um, a common stereotype of Democrats in this era where you have um, Irish Catholics uh, from urban areas and um, just the rise of that because these Irish Catholics now are making a lot of money and they've got more political influence and they're starting to rise in prominence. Well, you've got this guy, Al Smith, from New York who really appeals to that Catholic voter. And you've got McAdoo who doesn't. (laughs) So you've got an issue here where you've got the more traditional um, Protestant. And this isn't necessarily a religious thing um, as it is a a societal thing. So cultural Protestants versus cultural Catholics. And you've got this fear element of if we ever have a Catholic rise to prominence, they're actually going to answer to the Pope instead of the American people. They're going to do what the Pope wants. And so there's this fear baiting um, going on. So really strange element here going on. I shouldn't say strange element, a really strange dynamic here where you've got this sort of Protestant versus Catholic. You've got um, people who are being um, backed by the KKK, which isn't cool. And it's, if the Republicans seem fragmented, the Democrats seem that much worse. Yeah, and we don't really see the whole anti-Catholic person as our president thing go away this election for sure. It becomes really strong in, oh, I don't know, maybe next election. But the thing you were saying about the KKK is interesting because everybody is pretty much against the KKK. I mean, not everybody, obviously, but everybody officially, all the official stances of the parties were, yeah, we don't want the KKK. They're doing bad stuff. They're saying bad stuff. They're not great people. And at the same time, nobody is really all that enthused about saying anything negative about them publicly and making it part of their platform. Because as much as we don't like the KKK now, they're not near as, I don't know, um, what's the word? Damaging. They don't actually kill people now that we know of. Um, and at the time they did. And so it's crazy that everybody was like, yeah, we're against them, but nobody's willing to make it part of their party platform. They just say, yeah, we're not in favor of bigotry or violence. And why? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It almost seems like going to the convention 
1924 for the Democrats, it was almost like all of these different factions headed towards Armageddon. Like, how in the world is this thing going to be solved? Because you had strong opinions from the South. You had strong opinions from your um, northern industrialized areas. Um, What do we do? Well, we get a compromise candidate. And the compromise candidate is John W. Davis. And McAdoo and Smith eventually drop out. um, And we have this compromise candidate who really people are not familiar with. And he doesn't get a lot of backing. Yeah. That's the long and short of it. Davis (laughs) just difficult. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Again, we see the split of a party uh, really cause the loss of the election for that party. And we're, I mean, we're only foreshadowing a couple minutes here, but it just doesn't work out well in the end for them. Mm -hmm. Um, We can't forget about the progressive party. The progressive party elects uh, Senator Earl. They nominate Senator Robert Follette, or I'm sorry, Robert La Follette, uh, as their candidate. He is, again, we're talking about progressive party. He's all about the people. He's about the, the labor unions. He's about the labor parties. He's about the socialist party. He is against the KKK. He's just like really, really the epitome of a socialist progressive, I guess you could say. And yeah. he he does well uh, in the election, but not well enough. Yeah, he actually, it's, it's funny, Ben, because I think whenever I think in terms of that third, that, that party that's out there, I feel like a segment of the Republican Party would leave and a segment of the Democratic Party would leave and they would form this third party. This is not a recent uh, invention or thought. It's always been there. And I've even seen some news reports recently talking about how um, Bernie Sanders is actually trying, is, is drawing some support away from Donald Trump. And it's like, wait a second. Isn't that like the furthest on the political spectrum from each other? But it's that it's that third ness. <laughs> There's right. that this is not anything like a Republican or anything like a Democrat. This is the third thing. And um it's not a recent thing and we might get some love mail or hate mail <laughs> because of that. Um, but it's there and, um, yeah. and we're going to see it creep up just about every subsequent election. Yeah. And just like, um, just like now <laughs> the Democrats and the Republicans can't really afford for Bernie or any other popular candidate for that matter to be independent, which we're not getting into modern day talk we said but just like we can't afford it now on either side of the aisle uh they couldn't afford it then either and it really draws a lot of attention away from both parties ultimately this election drew a lot of attention away from the democratic party yeah uh so you ready to talk about the election 
Yeah, I think we've we've uh, alluded enough to the results. We might as well talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> so Coolidge's campaign slogan, uh, I don't know which PR firm he hired for this or marketing, <laughs> uh, but their slogan was keep cool with Coolidge. And it was extremely popular. And Easy really, to remember, too. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, Davis... He was only popular in the South and um, and Oklahoma, which many would consider the South anyway. But um, many of the Northern Democrat voters actually went for that progressive candidate, La Follette. And um, Davis lost the popular vote to Coolidge by 25 percentage points. That's crazy. That's a lot. It was only outdone by the previous election when Harding went 26 points ahead um, back in 1920. But, oh my goodness. Yeah. Uh, Republicans, they carry a ton, obviously. We don't need to say that since they won by over 25%. But a little tidbit, they also carry New York City. They win New York City and... This is the last time, well, at least so far, that this ever happens. Yeah. So if you were to look at the map and just see how beet red. Are beets really red, though? They are. Well, maroon. <laughs> how beet, beet maroon. Yeah. How, how, just on the map, because of the splitting of the Democrats and the uni- unified effort of the Republicans... I mean, it just plays out, and it's not cool to be a Democrat in 1924. No. And 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 the strange thing is, is two years earlier, they had made all these gains in the midterms, and and they blew it just because they weren't united. Yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, interesting fact in this election. This is the first presidential election where all American Indians were actually recognized as American citizens. And, of course, with that comes the ability and the right to vote. So, I mean, you've got a ton of American Indians going out to vote. Uh, I don't actually have any information. I'm sure there is information, but I don't really know who they voted for mostly. But I do know that a lot of people who wouldn't have voted previously did come out and vote for La Follette. Um so there's that. He gets a lot more votes, and, and the overall vote it goes way higher because of the American Indians being allowed to vote. Very cool. Very cool stuff. Hey, Ben, you know what else is really cool? I have no idea. We have. If you're listening to us, by the way, on the day that this podcast is released, which is the last day of 2015, Happy New Year, by the way. Uh-huh. Tomorrow, a new, fresh, shiny podcast from your friends, Jason and Ben, or Ben and Jason, whichever you prefer. It's the Fortune Cookie Podcast. You can sign up for daily email updates from the Fortune Cookie Podcast by going to our website over there, which is cookiepodcast.com. And, of course, you can connect with us over on social media 
Our handle on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook is Cookie Podcast. All right, everybody. Thanks for checking us out. Uh, we also send out weekly newsletters for Election College, so be sure to sign up for those at electioncollege.com. And we will talk to you next time. See ya.